Hey there! Are you tired of waiting for the next episode of It's Probably Not Aliens? Well, we've got some good news for you. On Nebula, our streaming service, you can get access to all our episodes a week early. That's right, you'll never have to wait again to hear Scott and I debunk the latest ancient astronaut theory or get a movie fact wrong. But that's not all. Nebula is home to dozens of content creators we know you like, so you can find all your favorites in one place. Plus, we post content on there that you won't find anywhere else. And the best part? By signing up for Nebula at nebula.tv slash probablynotaliens, you're directly supporting the show and both of us. So don't wait any longer. Join Nebula today and listen to the next episode right after this one. First thing I need is a sound of a retro bulletin ushered by spacey futuristic tones. Can you do that for me? folks, gather around your holographic sets for it's time to tune into the cosmic waves. Welcome to the one and only station transmitting from the far side of Beetlejuice, the Galactic Gazette Interstellar Bulletin, zapping you the zaniest from every crevice of the cosmos. Echo straight into your funny bone. Ooh. I, your host. See, we can't introduce ourselves too early. That's not what we do on this podcast. Yeah, we have to do at least a 10 minute digression about a movie or something. Yeah. Um, blah, blah, blah. Let's see. I'm going to cut around this part. Um, we are ready to entertain your auditory orbits with tall tales as bright as a supernova and as buoyantly bizarre as a helium balloon planet. Is that a thing? A helium balloon planet? I don't think so. Uh, All right. It's a math equation. Everything here is kosher, folks. Nope, that doesn't mean we serve space locks from Sirius. What are they talking about? This is bad. (laughs) But our news is star certified. We deal in the real space deal. (laughs) What? God damn. Where truth is stranger than science fiction and aliens wouldn't trade the game quadrant for Las Vegas. Gay quadrant. What is this thing? I don't know. It's almost done. So perk up those antennae. Polish your probus. How do you say this word? Proboscis. Probus- Probuscuses. So perk up those antennae. Polish your proboscises and prepare for some interstellar intrigue that's sure to cause ripple your space-time continuum. Ooh. <laughs> and remember, when life's got you feeling like a beaten-down quark, let Galactic Gazette bring the universe humor that will help you escape your gravity well. So, here we go! And then I need you to do another, like, Note the Is this a pun? Multi-note? Is that a space thing? I don't know. Note the gravity of the situation! We are light years away from boredom. I like that. And re-entry into jocularity starts in three, two, one! Um, so we did ask ChatGPT to write us an intro for this one, and I and I did ask it to fill it with lots of space puns, 
and I don't get a lot of them. So that's on. <laughs> Remember when we used to start shows with germane to the topic ChatGPT poetry? We did it twice. And- yes, we did it twice. And we we wanted to know if people liked it. And I don't think we got a single comment, positive or negative, about it. People were just like, it exists. It definitely happened. Um, hi, everybody. Um, hey, what was that about? Yeah. <laughs> Why did we do that? This is a podcast called It's Probably Not Aliens, uh, the show where we talk about ancient astronaut theory, uh, uh, pseudo history, pseudo archaeology, UFOs, UAPs, and be all skeptical and shit about it. Um, my name is Tristan, and I'll be your host today. And I'm joined by Scott. Me. Hello. All, my name is Scott Nicewander. I'm, I'm the one who knows nothing. I did type a chat intro, and it did tell me that my name is actually not Scott Nicewander. My name is Sir Orion Orion. Like Orion, like Orion's belt. Mm-hmm. And then Orion, as in O apostrophe Ryan. So my name is Sir Orion Orion. That's a pretty good and name. And I don't I don't know why they put Sir in there, but I'll take it. Yeah. There is definitely like silly science fiction RPG campaign that definitely would is going to have an NPC with that name, Sir Orion Orion. I feel like that's Th- a good It probably name. already exists and that's where this that's where they scraped that that name from. Maybe. Online. It's a bit more sophisticated than that, but still, yeah, it could be. Today is a little bit of a different thing. We'll see how it plays out in the sticks. Level with me. If you're questioning why we did that weird intro, Tristan is about to explain. Yeah, today we're doing a new sort of podcast within a podcast called the Galactic Gazette, which is because as uh, we do a bunch of subjects, this is almost like the spiritual successor to grab bag episodes. But as we're talking about all these subjects and going into these deep dives into history, a couple things have been happening. One, we get news stories because right now UAP phenomenons and UFOs and pseudo history and pseudo archaeology happens all the time. And I get messages from people telling me about news stories. And some of them are worthy of full episodes where we go deep into a subject. But some of them are like, that's funny. So that we should Uh mention that. And of course, also to kind of glom onto this, there are also topics that I come across where I realize that there is a story there, but it's not a whole podcast story, you know? Mm. Uh, For example, like when I was actually doing research for this episode, I actually came across one story that ballooned into an entire episode. So it's actually going to come in a couple episodes from now. Did it helium balloon planet? It's a helium balloon. It's it's, an update on the UAP situation. It'll be really good. But the idea is that every so often when I have enough juice for it, we'll do one of these galactic gazettes where we'll cover some stories that don't necessarily warrant a full episode. And also that they might be stretching the limits of the scope of this show because these are new stories that have to do with like new things that have to do with UAPs and UFOs, but also pseudo history, pseudo archaeology, and sort of things unfolding at the moment. And today we have two stories. One is firmly not aliens. It is and is firmly in the realm of pseudo history that is related to kind of current ongoing things. Ongoing as of uh, early November when I got this story, but it's like mid-December now, so we'll see how relevant it is. But then we have another one that's a little bit more, you know, in the zone that we're talking about. But anytime that in the future, if I come across a good news story that might not be fit and it's probably not Aliens episode because it's either too short or a little bit off topic or something, this yeah. is where it's going to fit. Yeah, I like this idea. Tristan was pitched this idea to me. I like it a whole lot. One thing I want to mention is that I did ask Chad GT to make that intro shorter, but it wasn't as funny, so it, we kept the long one. But the short one does refer to everyone, the listeners, as cosmic comrades. And could we like just take that as our, our audience? Cosmic comrades? <laughs> Let's do it. Yeah. What do you all, listener, what do you think? Are you happy to 
be a cosmic comrade. That would be cool. Yeah, it's better maybe than the we'll other one, make... which would just be not aliens. Yeah. <laughs> hey, fellow not aliens. Maybe we'll make little enamel pins that you wear that says cosmic comrade. That has to we'll be see. after Al the Space Potato, though. Space Potato is the Space be a good Potato. One. Al the Space Potato. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We could just call our audience Space Potatoes. <laughs> Do you think they would like that? It's a term of endearment. Yeah. And if you if you know, you know, type situation. All right. You're the listeners. You get to decide. Do you no. want to be called Cosmic Comrades or do you want to be called Space Potatoes? I'm now partial to Space Potato. I think <laughs> that is funny. Yeah, I like the I like the nature of improv. Just, you know, yes ending. Yeah. Plus, we didn't get it from chat GPT. Yeah, <laughs> so true. that all works. But hey, you're the audience. You get to decide. Mm-hmm. Those are the only two options. Do not go on Blue Sky or Twitter and suggest other ones. No, these are your two options. You get to decide, but I'm giving you the options. I don't want any of you smart people and clever people coming up with better names that's going to make these ones look silly. All right. This is like part of parenting that they tell you about. Like you give your kid the illusion of choice by being like, do you want to do A or do you want to do B? As like, they're like, you mm-hmm. have the, you could choose either of these things. They don't realize they're free to do whatever they want. Yeah. There are no laws against children. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So we got two stories today. One has to do with, and this will feel very dated, I feel like by the time it comes out, but has to do with the fact that America recently got a new speaker of the house that has some interesting history when it comes to comments about history in general. And two, we've got a report from NASA on UFOs. So if you remember a few months ago, we talked about how NASA was getting involved in the UAP situation and they had their committee meetings, they did their research and they came out with a report. So those are the two things we're going to talk about today. Gotcha. Well, I'm excited. Let's, I got to dive into this first page of Galactic Gazette. I got to flip open to page one. What are the headlines? Okay. So first one is the headline, Mike Johnson once blamed homosexuality for the fall of the Roman Empire. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like this one I kind of feel bad about bringing to the show because I feel like it's an energy that is outside of the normal scope of the show. But it is a part where a very rare instance where pseudo archaeology and like contemporary American politics are meeting each other. Can I just say if Mike Johnson was a fictional character's name, it would sound like a writer trying not very hard to disguise a Mike Hawk joke. Oh, yeah. It's Mike, Mike Johnson. Bean's penis. Do you get it? His penis. His penis. Yeah, yeah. As a fellow Johnson, I have gotten this several times. Mm-hmm. I forgot about your last name just now before <laughs> I started making those jokes. It's all right. It's all right. Every person with Johnson as their last name is used to it. Okay. So here's the idea is that the Speaker of the House, who is basically the closest thing that America has to a prime minister. I'm not sure about, mm. like, let's see how much of a civics lesson I can give you guys. The Speaker of the House is essentially the head of the government in a way. He or she is the leader of the House of Representatives, the, the, the you know, Congress people who are not senators. Uh, they're yeah. the ones who get reelected every two years and they're the biggest body because they're roughly supposed to represent the population of different states. Uh, yeah. What it means, though, is that because unlike senators who get elected every six years uh, and presidents who have elections every four years, they go up every two years, which means that their politics is a lot more chaotic. Yeah. And it also typically means that they are they they spend a lot of I mean I already feel like presidents spend a lot of time campaigning in the four years that they're around two years I feel like just don't stop yeah yeah I mean pretty much every politician does not stop campaigning anymore and even if they're not campaigning for themselves they're campaigning for other people and by campaigning they mean they're on the phone asking people for money but um either way Mike uh, so if you probably remember in the news semi recently I think this is about a month ago now uh that the there was a shakeup in the Republican Party because right now as of the end of the 20 
2022 election. The Republicans hold on to the House of Representatives, but very, very lightly. They barely have control of the House of Representatives. Um, and there's a internal division going on in the Republican Party between different ideological factions and dealing with the fact that like one of their sitting Congress people seems to be just literally an open fraud who lied about virtually every aspect of his life. Um, mm -hmm. But in the midst of this, there was a sort of power play involved in a coup of the former Speaker of the House. And there were several days of chaos as the Republicans tried to scramble to put together a new one. Uh, and the result of all of that was a guy by the name of Mike Johnson. And this guy has like this guy came into the situation extremely conservative, very troublesome in a lot of different ways. Uh, but in a way that specifically Tristan can talk about in a really meaningful way is that he also yeah. is on the record as having a fellow Johnson. Bad, yeah, as a fellow yeah. Johnson. He has bad history opinions about things. So I'm going to give you a full mm. little bit about a little bit about everything. So uh, Mike Johnson pledged to give House Republican members more power, aiming to decentralize power in the speaker's office. Like in the, in many ways, the the speaker of the House tends to hold a lot of power and centralized authority in the party. You might remember because a few years ago, this was centered in Nancy Pelosi, who all, you can imagine in the House wielded yeah. a lot of power in the Democratic Party. So yes. this is, uh, but Mike Johnson is trying to tamper that down a bit and make them a little bit more autonomous, which is mostly to settle the fact that Republicans currently are kind of tearing each other apart over um, basically how evil they can be to each other. <laughs> um, yes. There's like different degrees of evil and the ones who are like, I'm really evil. And the other ones who are like, I am evil branded, but I more just want to give rich people money in that kind of evil. So Yeah, I'm an evil that people can that that that's a little bit more palatable. To some it, yeah, people. it's lawful evil versus chaotic evil. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's basically it. Yeah. Yeah. So Mike Johnson's a Republican from Louisiana uh, and is now the current speaker, been elected based on a party line vote. And before entering politics, Johnson was a litigator for conservative causes, such as the Alliance Defending Freedom for two decades. And I'll get to that in a second. He served as a trustee for the Southern Baptist Convention's Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission and has been a vocal support of former President Donald Trump, um, who also very well may be president this time in two years. So who knows? Uh, we'll see. Yeah. Don't put that on me, Tristan. I don't want that. It's not your fault. It's, um, it's a political party that is in charge and seems to refuse to believe that it is in charge and doesn't do anything about the myriad problems that it's facing. But that's a different story. Okay. So, um, first of all, uh, and of course, also, this is going to be just like, you know, content warning. This guy is, his whole thing is being ridiculously homophobic. And so um, we're gonna have to just deal with that Ooh. shit. Um, he has, uh, he's known for having hard right stances on issues like reproductive rights and same-sex marriage. Uh, you might know the reproductive rights aspect because it's the current um, thing that is basically causing Republicans to lose elections in droves because they were chasing this very unpopular issue for so, so long. And then they finally actually got their victory and it turns out everybody hated it. It turns out people don't, people, it, it, it's, and that's, and we can't go down this rabbit hole, Tristan. We can't, we, we will, we'll be here forever, but it is one of those things where like, I even feel like a lot of Republican people don't like it. Cause it's like, do you really want the government saying what you should do with your body? I feel like that's the party of small government is the yeah. Republicans. That's what they always say. True. Furthermore, it's also just a, 
situation where like um, the, a lot of people who got the victory that they wanted then re- didn't realize the consequences of their own actions. And when they have to hear stories about like eight year old children being forced to give birth, uh, it all of a sudden makes people realize, oh, these things exist for a reason. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. OK. Um, and I'm sure if uh, anybody knows anything about American history or history in general, you'll know that um, some of the lengths people go to do a thing that people have been doing literally as long as there has been humans. Uh, sometimes it's dangerous and bad uh, and people die. Uh, anyways, that's... Do them safely is what yeah, we're saying. Exactly. Just that, just, so, just so we're clear, we're not saying the procedure itself is bad. We're saying people have access to seeing. Yes, because in the past, things like Lysol were involved and people died. Mm-hmm. Um, just as a... Just, just so you know. Um, it's really wild if you like look at like 1920s Lysol ads where they kind of knew this and they used it in their marketing and it's really no. fucking weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every oh, time no. I used to teach a US history course or I was a TA anyway and every time we got to the 1920s uh, the teacher had this like um, he did this little unit where we look at ads and every time we got to the Lysol ad uh, the, mm-hmm. the students would just be so confused because it's just like why are these two women sharing the secret of disinfectant and I'm like oh <laughs> shit's about to get dark everybody. Lysol um, can clean anything. Yeah it's <laughs> oh god it's we're being a little glib it was a very dark period of American history. Anyways, um, Mike Johnson also serves on the House Armed Services Committee and the Judiciary Committee. He's rated the 27th most effective Republican member of Congress by the Center for Effective Lawmaking at Vanderbilt, which means that he has been involved with a lot of shit that got passed um, and has been involved in high profile constitutional law cases and is recognized as a leading defender of right to life, religious liberty, free speech, the Second Amendment and free market. He's a Republican. He's a Republican, everybody. That's what it Um, sounds like. Yeah. It just feels like he's doing all the, he's the cookie cutter Republican. Yeah. Uh, he's been a vocal opponent of same sex marriage and has been associated with efforts to overturn the 2020 election, which was a fascist coup of the U.S. government that happened in 2020, uh, as everyone remembers. Yep. And also has multiple links to anti LGBTQ groups and has multiple con- controversial statements about co- homosexuality. One of which I'm going to talk about today because it breaches into pseudo archaeology or pseudo history. So in 2008, Mike Johnson was on a radio interview in Louisiana and wrote that he uh, and said in the interview that the Roman Empire fell okay. due to quote rampant homosexual behavior. Mm. Um, he he thought that it was because of societal deprivation, loss of morals, and uh, and yeah, and it, a lot, interestingly enough, uh, he said all those things, uh, but then did not provide any evidence or detailed explanation what? to back his claim. What Mike Johnson? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Are you sure? This guy seems like he would got he's got stuff lined up. He's got his sources, he's got uh, a whole uh page of citations. Are you sure? Mike Johnson. Yeah, Mike Johnson. Um Okay. Sounds like a guy who sold you a bad car. Um, okay, <laughs> so here's here's some things that we do need to mention about Rome and understand. Like, there's there's not only is he talking about something that is factually wrong, he is factually wrong in like a long-standing history of being wrong on this specific subject. So mm-hmm. Rome, um, as we learned recently, men st- can't stop thinking about it. Um, can't, constantly thinking about Rome. That's, that is the that is the thing that really confirms that I am a gender. Is the, when you brought up that like men. 
I constantly think about Rome, and I'm like, I have never thought about Rome my entire life. I know the timeline doesn't line up, but I'm just imagining we recorded that episode with Trey, and we all talked about the Roman Empire, and then afterwards, you just like went into like, who am I? What is? Who am I? What am I? Yeah, (laughs) like that was the beginning of the of the spiral that led to you coming out. Yeah, Um, not true, but would be very funny if it was. If would be funny. The TikTok meme led to it. Um, Yeah. So one of the things that we do have to mention is that in the Roman Empire, same-sex sex was actually tolerated and to a degree even accepted in Roman in the Roman Empire. Yeah. Uh, but also, also, it was it, 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 no historian who has studied the fall of the Roman Empire would attribute it to the uh, to being a factor in the fall of the empire. <laughs> it was no, no. Um, this is too much sex. Yeah. Too much bad. Too much bad sex. Mm-hmm. Fall of penis was wrong place. Fall penis, empire. Wrong place. Wrong place. Wrong time. Yeah. <laughs> It's all a timing issue. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, furthermore, after uh, like talking about like, uh, you know, this this feels like it should be redundant to say, but like LGBTQ plus advocates have expressed concern over Johnson's views. Uh-huh. Uh, Kelly Robinson, who's the president of the Human Rights Campaign, which is an LGBTQ plus civil rights group, described Johnson as someone who doesn't hesitate to express his disdain for the community. Uh, Representative uh-huh. Mark Pocan, the, uh, the chairman of the Congressional Equity Caucus, called Johnson an extreme Republican who has dedicated his career to attacking LGBTQ. LGBTQI plus people and pushing an anti-equality agenda. So that's... So, Mike so, Johnson? Mike Johnson. Are you sure? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I will say, uh, sadly, like, uh, I hate that I have to admit it, Mike Johnson is actually very, it's very appealing to say. It, 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 it's fun to just it say the word. It sucks how much fun I'm having saying his name. Mike Johnson, yeah. Mike Johnson. So let's get a little bit of history here. Mike Johnson uh, was involved with Exodus International, which is a ex-gay organization promoting recovery from homosexuality, which is a thing that has been shown over and over again scientifically to have absolutely no efficacy and really is just a recipe for causing extreme for, mental distress in anybody who goes through it. Um, for, for clarity, that's like a, when you say ex-gay organization, you mean like they're trying to, yes. they're trying to like make people not gay. This is like conversion not therapy. Not that the organization, stuff. it's, yeah, it's not that the organization itself was gay and is no longer gay. <laughs> this is a former gay organization. Yeah, this is the Michael Barbaro of organizations. Um, <laughs> no, um, no, it is a, um, it is ex-gay organizations in like sort of like conservative Christian circles is basically a term for like um, conversion therapy type things. And like people who there's like a, you know, there's a flavor of, of hardcore Christian who call themselves ex-gay because like they, they claim that they, 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 they cured themselves. They beat it. Yeah. Uh, yeah they it, beat, they, they, they overcame the gayness. Yeah. It's, um it's, it's not based in any sort of reality and it is, no. um, and things like conversion therapy have been linked to uh, a lot of distress and also like, you know, like horrible things, suicide, uh, mental, like a lot of mental health struggles for a lot of people, and luckily is slowly getting banned in a lot of places. So, um, thank good. Yeah. Uh, Johnson, though, uh, who was a lawyer, provided legal advice to Exodus International and also was involved with something called the Day of Truth, which is an anti gay event for teenagers countering the LGBTQ supportive Day of Silence, and uh, has advocated for the criminalization of gay sex, opposed same sex marriage, etc. etc. Um, let's look at his claims, though. So historians and LGBTQ plus advocates and skeptics have refuted his claim that the rampant homosexual behavior caused the fall of the Roman Empire. Uh, In a 2013 uh, article titled A Global Historical Survey, Does Accepting Homosexuality Lead to Societal Ruin? Uh, Looks at the the assertion that uh, accepting homosexuality led to the downfall of any civilization.
Constitution and conducted a case mm. study on the Greek slash Hellenistic and as well as the Roman empires and Japan to examine historical impact on homosexuality and showed conclusively that uh, none of these things seem to be linked no. at all. <laughs> what? Are you sure? Yeah. I thought gay was bad though. Uh, uh, it turns out not. Studies show. Studies study show. Turns out gay? Gay good. It just is. It just, it's pretty neutral across yeah. the board. It just True. is. Uh, in 2011, there was an academic who uh, named uh, Roberto de Mattei, who was the vice president of the Italy Center of National Research, a devout Catholic who made this claim, uh, faced pressure to resign after doing it, uh, after making similar claims. Emilio Gaba, who's an expert on ancient uh, Roman history, stated that it's highly improbable that homosexuality led to the fall of the Roman Empire um, and mm. shows that like there's not only like, like not only is there like a widespread academic consensus that this is not the case, but that there is a history of people trying to say that it is the case and being wrong about it and usually gotcha. being tied to people who are extremely religious because the person who said it was uh, like a devout Catholic. Um, right. Yeah. yeah uh, so there's been, you know, some strong reactions. Users like uh, users that I looked up on Reddit showed that uh, there's like that there's like a lot more complexity and that this is like a grotesque oversimplification and also just a wrong claim. Um, just uh, see here. So um, combating misinformation in pseudo history, especially when propagated by influential figures, is a good thing. Uh, so like basically mm -hmm. the Roman Empire collapsed because of over oh, like overstretching. Like uh, like first of all, it's um, it's government systems became too corrupt yeah. uh, because uh, they were entering situations where there were Roman emperors who were serving for periods that lasted like days before getting assassinated. Uh, wow. There was just uh, uh, the empire was just far too widespread and did not have yep. the infrastructure or resources or communication to be able to even manage such a huge amount of territory. And gotcha. uh, furthermore, people at the like uh, there was a strict hierarchical system in their society of people who were, you know, of Rome versus not of Rome. There was a unsustainable system of constant invasions in order to secure slaves for a slave based economy that also it became too dependent on, in which case it then became it got into this dangerous cycle of invading new places to get more slaves, but then taking more territory that they then did not have the resources to manage. And you can mm. see that uh, eventually it kind of just fell apart from within and groups that yeah. were from outside of Rome's like the Visigoths and the Goths and the, the uh, other uh, non-Roman uh, groups that the lived other in Goths. Europe. Yeah. yeah, all the different kinds of goths eventually started to realize that oh shit, Rome has like absolutely no like they 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 aren't able to maintain their their borderlands or anything like that. Did massive invasions and Rome eventually mm. fell several times before collapsing. Uh, basically in the early Middle Ages, um, fell. Rome fell on its knees to an extent it though. Like gay because it's gay. Yeah. The other thing, the other argument you can make is that Rome didn't necessarily collapse because uh, that was just in the West. Uh, Rome continued to exist in Turkey and Greece all the way until the 1400s, in which well, case by that point, point, by the time they were collapsing, they were very Christian and were not tolerant of gayness at all. No. So that's... Well, well... Yeah. I liked it before when you... Yeah, it's it, it, it's a interesting little little uh, like it shows that like, oh, yeah, um, there's been like a like there's a whole kind of argument that people would say about how uh, like homosexuality is some sort of like like sometimes you hear like this is like a, this is a Western phenomenon or it's like a, a sort of like modern phenomenon, like a cosmopolitan thing. But mm. it is like a phenomenon that has been shown not only in humans, but it like throughout human history in various civilizations for a very long time. And the only reason why it sticks 
out in any way today or has stigma today is because uh, the dominant religious traditions on Earth today kind of stem from a very homophobic uh, sort of set of doctrines. Yeah. And so when that is sort of the paradigm that is in control of most of the world, uh, that is that just is sort of uh, what comes out of it. Um, yeah. Wait, so you're saying Mike Johnson? Mike Johnson got this wrong and that there's Mike many- Johnson? Mike Johnson. So, and there was a reason why I brought this up, because some people would be like, why the hell are you talking about this on a podcast about UFOs and shit? Well, we talk uh, about pseudo-history. Yeah. This is pseudo-history. Yeah, I do think, though, that it's important to to combat misinformation, especially when influential figures are pushing stuff like this. Uh, yes. This information like this, misinformation like this can be far-reaching. Uh, it can then impact public perceptions, policy decisions, and so social cohesion, because being wrong doesn't necessarily mean that you're, it's ineffectual and that wrong ideas can still uh, proliferate in society. If anything, sometimes they proliferate faster in society and mm. uh, can become a social truth rather than a uh, an actual truth um, gotcha. just through, you know, cultural things. So I looked up, like, how do we, like, kind of fight stuff like this? And one of the things that I, I came across that I feel like we should have that we should, we should bring into parlance more as a thing that we can do. Uh, this is, like, this was brought up by, like, the archaeolog- archaeological society or the archaeological mm-hmm. community. So they've talked about how a lot of times there's like archaeologists who have been hesitant to publish their data because of like they know that it's going to get latched onto by cranks. And sure. archaeologists already are like well aware that they have to deal with cranks as like a big part of their work. So they've started moving into uh, something that they're calling pre-bunking, which is that they uh, try uh-huh. to inoculate information or individuals against misinformation before they even encounter it. And so even if something is not widespread they like if they think it will be misinterpreted they will address the potential for misinformation in the same oh. thing so that they can kind of get ahead of the story before because a lot of times they're reacting to pseudo-archaeology but if they can sort of see where the pseudo-archaeology is coming off. from and cut it off before yeah. it happens yeah that's good i like that because i do feel like a lot of the times i mean that's a, a lot of uh, most of this pod reacts to history pseudoscience that mm-hmm. sort of stuff um which is hard to do when there have been decades so i like this idea of being a little bit more preemptive by mm-hmm. being like we see the potential of this thing spreading you know this misinformation spread get to right now exactly like yeah and i mean like as somebody who just made a video on the kennedy assassination who had to wade through like 60 years of conspiracy yeah. theories and like got a lot of flack because i did not address like the literal decades of nonsense yeah. that have been piled up over the years uh and i kind of did like a first principles approach that uh yeah like it it, it, it is a hard thing like once once it gets established it's hard to deal with. So this is like a thing that a lot of archaeologists are starting to push now where archaeologists should um, encourage critical reflection on the veracity of claims and also to be more uh, proactive on social media platforms, even encouraging like making uh, partnerships with different social media platforms in order to control the spread of pseudo archaeology and mm-hmm. misinformation. Uh, so that is like a thing that people are, yeah, are starting and, to look at. You know, and you know, me as the time traveling shooter in the grassy knoll, like mm-hmm. I as that's who I am. I feel like the spread of misinformation um, really has not captured me very well. People mm-hmm. sort of have forgotten my name. So I feel like we should have more proactive. About yeah. So I, in a similar vein, I'm with you about that. For sure. Uh, ways to do this involve fact checking and sharing the truth on social media platforms, which have been shown to help in controlling misinformation. But the volume of fabricated content poses a challenge for the effectiveness of these kind of corrective approaches. So getting ahead of it before it proliferates is a smart idea. And also that they need to like just 
kind of correcting the record, as we saw in the Trump administration, just like fact checking and correcting when when popular and influential figures say, uh, uh, say things that are wrong don't work very well. And doesn't what, work. What does work is getting involved with the platforms themselves to develop tools and techniques to mitigate the information. Like, for example, uh, Reddit was a fucking cesspool until like after the uh, uh, January 6th, I think it was, where they like dis- they, they, they just nuked a whole bunch of really bad subreddits. And um, there's like studies showing that like the amount of like hate speech went down, the amount of like like horrible stuff went down. And I would also say it's even more effective in various other ways. But like when a bunch of influential like neo-Nazis and fascists got kicked off of Twitter, uh, we mm. saw like a decrease in sort of the public ingestion of far-right ideas. And people will say like, well, they just left and they went to Telegram. And it's like, yeah, but like no, no one's on Telegram. Like right. kicking people off of big popular platforms does work really well. It does. And uh, that basically we need to kind of do have that kind of stuff involved instead of like just being like like the whole idea that um, the marketplace of ideas concept basically that you can like if you just show up with the good idea the good idea went out over the bad idea doesn't seem to be true um, doesn't seem to be true I think the, the, the idea that gets the most attention is, yeah. is usually uh, wins out mm-hmm. I also think I mean this is another tangent but I also think politicians say something they know is factually correct because they know that people will spend time correcting that real easy thing rather than engaging in the bigger point of what he's saying so people are like well that's not really the downfall of of societies when the, the bigger point is he's basically just do it he's saying he's just he's saying the thing that everyone's already said like all the people have already saying bad don't engage with him in that but it's it's i think it's still useful to both mm-hmm. uh, but i do think some i there's a part of me that's like sometimes i think they, they're wrong i will say that this taps into a legacy but i, I i'll point out that psychological research has shown that things like pre-bunking like if you can get to a person with the good idea before they can get to the bad idea the fact mm-hmm. that you got to them first has, seems to inoculate people against misinformation uh, and enhance their ability to like if you teach people before they kind of get into bad news and bad information how to determine what is real and what is fake that actually helps quite a bit um, and so that's why like things like platform moderation are important for maintaining a stable society and why maybe that should be one of the things that we look towards for how to fix a lot of problems we're having. Um, the other thing too is that we have to realize that misinformation also tends to flourish in situations where there's uh, not a lot of context. Uncertainty is high and there, there's an anxiety or a scarcity of reliable information, which leads to terrible consequences, which shows that there probably needs to be like more, like this is like the reason why like so many conspiracy theories thrived in areas where the government was not being transparent. Uh, and mm-hmm. that more transparency from people in authority would result in less conspiracy theories because when people don't know something we really don't like not knowing things and we tend Mm. to very quickly fill in that not knowing with like just bullshit and then it gets really popular like um, the big one I can think of was uh, uh, not last weekend but the weekend before the uh, president of OpenAI the chat GPT there or the CEO got fired and uh, they gave very vague and cryptic ideas as to what happened and now there's like a thousand and one different explanations as to like what happened and now he's back anyway but like either way like uh everyone was talking like there were things going from the fact that like he had done some massive crime that it was going to be like uh what's it called mm-hmm. uh sam bankman freed level amounts of like fraud uh-huh. to like that that like the researchers had developed a new ai that was so powerful that they like Whoa. fired sam altman before he could like commercialize it because it was like general artificial intelligence or something and so like there was like a whole range of just 
absolute like nonsense. And the reason is because people don't like saying that like the answer to like why that guy got fired at the moment is just not publicly available. That people, yeah. <laughs> trust me, if a journalist could find out the answer, they would. But unfortunately, you know, good journalists stake their reputation on saying things that are correct. Uh, yep. Yeah. Well, all right. Uh, so, so yeah. So um, that's Mike Johnson. Yeah. He, um, it shows. So it's like the, the thing that I wanted to kind of get into is that this is part of a project to dehumanize and attack LGBTQ plus people. And yes. this specific idea that like homosexuality was tied to the fall of the Roman Empire is not new. And it has been said often in many times with by people who have this sort of historical vision of decadence and collapse of society. Uh, it's very much linked to fascist ideologies. Um, the, the main people who talked about it was Nazi Germany, which persecuted their gay population in order to prevent this from happening to their own society. Uh, they mm. thought that they were dangerously nonconformist and a threat to the traditional family values, which led to like the, the collapse of Rome or whatever, uh, whatever made up shit they had. And so it's also important to state that this is wrong because it is a project, a pseudo historical uh, belief that is out of line with evidence and is used specifically to hurt a group of people who are marginalized and experiencing a lot of uh, discrimination today. Yep. Yeah. All right. Yeah, that story was. I mean, yeah. It's easy to point at just like one thing. Be like, how, how did this? Empire fall? Gabe, yeah. don't ask any follow quests. Yeah, I have nothing else to say. All right, we're 40 minutes in with story one over. Yeah. Uh, story, story two. All right, so NASA put together a report on UFOs. So think about it this way. Um, NASA has basically put together a project to try and explain away what's going on with all these UAPs. Uh, as you guys know, NASA is the government agency at the forefront of aeronautics and space research. So they deal with things in space and in the sky. So the UAP investigation was definitely a thing that they would get involved with. Uh, and they commissioned an independent study to scientists analyze events in the sky that are unidentified, known as UAPs, uh, to figure mm. out if they're man-made objects, if they're aliens, if they're wh whatever, whatever these things are. like Unidentified aerial phenomena. Yeah. Uh, the, the current administrator of NASA who pushed behind this is the uh, is Bill, ne Bill Nelson, who announced the creation of this uh, aerial phenomenon research position and, and showed a, uh, a commitment to UAP research. The director who was in charge of this was Mark McKinnery, who has experienced experience with uh, liaising with the Department of Defense to to work on this because this is a, obviously a project they're doing with the DOD because we've talked about how the DOD is super involved in UAP research right now to try mm -hmm. and figure out what's going on uh, because it's, you know, non-American things in American airspace, which right. seems to be the Department of Defense's main interest. That's what they do. Yeah. yeah. So what they did is they put together NASA's Unidentified Anomalous Phenomenon Independent Study Team or UAPIST uh, as an no, expert panel. Can't. Yeah, you U-A-P-I-S-T. U-A-P-I-S-T. You, man. You apist. You, you, you a pit. You, you, you a pissed. You a pissed. You a pissed. That's, if I discovered that these are not aliens, I'm, I'm a be pit. You, you <laughs> there you go. I'm trying to make something work. I, I, I appreciate the effort. It was good. Uh, so to do this, they put together a uh, team of 16 multidisciplinary experts to delve into the mystery. It included astronomers, oceanographers, computer scientists, journalists, and notable members were people like David Spurgeon, 
and Anna Maria Berea. Uh, so I'll, I'll try to get into a few of these people that they put in here. One was Karen St. Germain, who's the director of NASA's Earth Science Division. So mm-hmm. she uh, was a big part of establishing this as a, a subcommittee. Daniel Evans, who is the deputy associate administrator for research at NASA's Science Mission Directorate. Uh, then there's Nicola Fox, who is the administrator of the Science Mission Directorate at NASA uh, and strategically appointed Mark McKinnery, highlighting the importance of the leadership there. And Thomas Zerbuchen, who is the associate administrator of uh, the Science Mission Directorate at at NASA and uh, has a uh, a lot of data research and such uh, background. So they wanted to figure out the different things. And here's what they they did. So June 9th, 2022, they announced the putting together of this team uh, to study and find scientific, enhance the scientific understanding of UAPs. They have their first meeting on May 31st, 2023. Uh, They have their first public meeting. They discuss that their plan is uh, their plans and methodologies and data that they're collecting to try and understand things. Mm-hmm. Then, in September 14th, they re- they publicate they publish their final report, offering recommendations for their things. So simultaneously, uh, me- they did a simultaneous media briefing by NASA to discuss their findings. Uh, the report highlights potential use of advanced technology and artificial intelligence in investigating UAPs. Mm. And then they that was when they announced that Mark McKinnery was going to be the new director of UAP research, which would make a more sort of permanent research aspect to this uh, to this thing. The team has now been dissolved after the final report was put out. And okay. so the UAPISTs... That feels painful. Why would they dissolve? They're humans. <laughs> Drop them in acid. They can live lives after this. It's true. They were just created for one purpose, which was to research UAPs, and then we... Alright, we're done with you. You are dissolved. Yeah, God. Um, the tenure was... It's like they're tyranids or something. Um, like, they're, they're handing in the final report with their hands shaking because they know what it means that they're done. They're just like, yeah, All right. there's a report. And then, right, like, get in thank the back. Very much. <laughs> <laughs> Acid. Could we have done something a little bit less acidy? <laughs> Um, so they have thought about like some of the recommendations included uh, deploying advanced satellites to study these, uh, implementing AI systems to study the study the data to look for answers, and using just like the other word for AI, which is machine learning for enhanced data collection and analysis yeah. of these things. Um, so the study was re- was released. It um, it tried to guide NASA on future data collection and understand the nature and origin of UAPs. And uh, let's see. So it tried the way that it did it is it tried to uh, take unclassified data from civilian government agencies, commercial sources, and other data, and look at it to try and find out what was going on. Uh, they found that their recommendations were very funny, and this is always a recommendation I see in any like final report of a big committee. They suggested uh-huh. that NASA would be a very important organization in governmental efforts to understand UAPs. So they got together and agreed that uh, our organization is uh-huh. very important for doing this thing. <laughs> um, hey, we it took a whole team of us, but we finally came to con- the conclusion that uh, NASA could be. Yeah, it's kind of like whenever you go to an academic conference and one of the conclusions in like one of the deep conversations is that we need to have a conversation about something. And it's like, thanks. I thought we were mm-hmm. supposed to be doing that. But OK, so we've all <laughs> concluded that this is a thing we should talk about. Cool. All right. Let's uh, this is our meeting about how we need to have more meetings. Exactly. Uh, there's a lot of like report talk in the in the report. Um, yeah, they recommended that NASA use open source resources and technology and data analysis partnerships 
and also Earth observing assets, i.e. like satellites too. They basically concluded that they need better data to get an answer to some of these things. So mm-hmm. they, they proposed a bunch of programs for how they can get more data. Uh, and But the real, the problem is that they found, they, they, they also realized they had limitations because they had too much data to deal with, but not enough data to get an answer. And that's why they started to say that like, to answer this, we're probably going to need to develop some sort of machine learning tool or some sort of artificial intelligence mm. program in order to, because that's what, that's what AI is really good for, is looking at a huge data set and finding the connections that a human being is just not capable of be of finding themselves. Right. Uh, that's why like you end up with like, like I don't know if you've seen some of the, stu- the studies from the last year, but like th- we had like, like AI has been implemented in a bunch of situations where that was the exact problem we were dealing with and has yep. solved things that we thought were going to take forever to figure out. Like uh, the sure. big one that was um, protein folding. So if anyone doesn't know about how this works is that like most of the machinery in the body that the DNA makes is because is made by them taking strands of protein and folding them through like a different mechanism and basically making like an origami organic machine that then does all the things that it's supposed to do in the sort of cell and we had like we had to figure out like how do we study the way that these things fold because it's a very complex system and like we don't really have a great way of doing it and they've tried so many different things they tried making a game at one point so there you could do like a citizen science thing so people could just play this game and solve the puzzles on how these different proteins work out and um and just like different types of models that were very computationally heavy this was like a very like thought to be intractable problem Uh uh, or at least a very complicated problem because uh the amount of things that these proteins can be folded into is is virtually infinite and we can be and can be used to make all sorts of different uh genetic like any, all sorts of parts of of how life works at like the sort of really really small level but also there's a lot of thought that if we could figure out how to intentionally make our own version of these kinds of origami we could cure a lot of diseases and we could do a lot of interesting stuff with like you know basically manipulating microbiology for technology because like in like nanotech like making things yeah. at a very very small scale is difficult and so the idea that you could make like a machine out of proteins could be really useful. And there's a lot of diseases linked to it, like rabies, for example, uh, or um, rabies and like, uh, what's that What's that disease called? Um, uh, mad cow disease. Mm. These are prionic disorders. And a prion is a protein that has been misfolded and has turned into a malicious purpose. And we don't really have a lot of great uh, solutions mm. for how to deal with that. I think there, this, the, don't, don't like quote me on this. This might end up in a corrections, Bit, but I also think that there's some theories that misfolded proteins might be created when we experience like uh, head trauma, like when we experience like concussions mm-hmm. and they create things called tau proteins or something. And people have, con- uh, I had a friend and I don't know, he was doing the research and I don't know what conclusion they came to, but he was suspicious that these misfolded proteins in the brain might be like one of the contributors towards Alzheimer's. Huh. So there's like, like, like understanding how yeah. proteins fold can solve a bunch of things. So this was like a huge thing. Anyways, the whole thing is to say is that uh, a paper came out earlier this year where an AI system was able to solve every single one of them. Awesome. And they they were able to identify every single protein, which was like a thing that like we like it was it was just a thing we thought was never going to be able to get done in like a, a speedy manner. And they did it in like one and, go. And uh, AI was able to write us a little funny little intro. It's true. It can do both can those do both things. things. Uh, yeah. So like it, it's um, it was a fascinating push forward. And also just like there's a lot of things like that in the future that could very well, especially for dealing with like issues with big data like this. Uh, AI 
AI. Really useful technology. Absurdly useful technology. Uh, so the next few years are going to be very, very interesting to watch. Uh, and also very interesting for how society is going to yes. um, exist alongside it. Yeah. Uh, I feel like I, Tristan and I have had many conversations off mic about our thoughts about AI. And I feel like Tristan is very mm-hmm. much in the camp of like, you're very pro, like, let's do all, all the AI. Yeah. I'm like, it's going, it exists and it's going to solve a lot of problems and our society is not ready for all the things it's going to mm-hmm. do and we need to uh, put things in place to make sure that it doesn't result in uh, you know like removing a whole lot of work and making a whole lot of people unemployed and miserable that's my biggest <laughs> thing is I'm much I'm just hes- I'm mostly hesitant around generative AI and I specifically want to make sure that there's some legislation that aren't being deep faked their voices saying things they never said yep. all that stuff yeah we definitely need laws in that regard and um, and some we're going to need to rethink the way we do economics and stuff like that like Canada's I don't know if you saw this Canada's concert can, right now the Senate is currently uh, mulling over the idea of putting in a basic yes, income program yes, yes, in the country yes. so that'll be let's go that'll be one let's way to address go. it yeah uh, so here's the here's the, the main things that they they came out of like this is the, the thing they talked about as challenges there's a lack of consistent detailed and curated observations so the data they did have was sort of messy uh-huh. um, and so they weren't able to make a lot of scientific conclusions but they also concluded that there is no evidence here that points towards extraterrestrial life. There's nothing that mm. is so unexplainable that there's there's no terrestrial theory that can explain it. There are a lot of things that are unexplained because they couldn't definitively find an answer, but there's nothing that's so out there and undefinable that aliens would be the only solution. Gotcha. So there's definitely stuff we don't know, <laughs> but the theories or like the speculation is, is more so just like, but it, it, there are more reasonable explanations. Exactly. And that is true like when we talked about the DODs, uh, UAP task force like report mm-hmm. they also have pointed out that like the vast majority of UAP reports are very easy to explain there's just a handful of them that don't have a solid answer uh, they have several guesses and uh, until they are certain they're going to keep investigating because while these might be like you know optical illusions or misuse of new technologies or something like that they're looking for like is this a Russian drone is this right. like uh, is this an enemy combat is this an enemy that has like developed a new form of surveillance or drone technology that we haven't yet and we need to be aware right. of. And so that's why they're interested in that kind of stuff. Um, they also though, uh, so that, so as they also did this, and I think this is kind of important too, they appointed a new director for UAP research, obviously, and they're, they're going to do this on a more permanent basis. Then they also uh, emphasize that this is important because they need to reduce the stigma surrounding UAP reporting. Yeah. As, as we, we talked, talked about, that about is like a major before. thing in the, yeah, in the culture of NASA, but also in the military that people were afraid to report seeing these things because it would it could, it could damage their career and make people like like wouldn't take them seriously so that's another big part of yeah, why like if there if there genuinely is something like a, a uap e- even if you don't suspect that it's think that it's some sort of spy craft would have people still people there's a stigma against reporting because people are being like oh look at this found a ufo and it's like no but it really mm-hmm. just it literally is an if i'd fly i don't know what it was but i saw it but i'm not i'm not you know yeah so the rebrand to UAP was part of that and it's an important part of like how we do the next like as the government is going to take UAP more seriously uh, this is like why they're doing this is they they want there it's not that they they think there's aliens it's that they want to reduce the stigma because people do see unexplained things in the skies and we don't necessarily know what all of them are and it would be important for us to figure out what they are without instantly going to aliens yeah we didn't talk about this in our UAP episode but I also just I prefer the term UAP 
just because it feels more broad and more accurate in that way. Like if you see something in the sky, it might be an object or it could be lights, right? So phenomenon mm -hmm. makes more sense than object. We don't know if it's literally flying, but it's in the air. So aerial, uh, it just feels like- You text your girl at 4 a.m. and write UF. Yeah. <laughs> hey, UF. Uh, yeah, but it just feels like a more accurate term for, for a, a broader range of stuff. Feels mm -hmm. more official, unidentified. Yeah, exactly. The other thing too, is that the report also emphasized that going forward, they're going to have a dedication to uh, keeping their, 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 first of all, their study is publicly available. You can read the whole nice. study uh, and all the work they did. And also that they are committed to making sure that as they move forward and studying UAPs, that they're going to do so in a transparent and uh, a transparent matter. And because they're going to like put like data out and everything like that, that means that there's a lot of room for other scientists to look at it and kind of research the data into themselves. And as I talked about with a sort of like um, earlier in the last story with the sort of pre pre bunking, this gives them like this, this creates the space for them to open up discussion and uh, hopefully get ahead of like, you know, the alien people, because if they're not transparent about it, the U the, the UFO, like, you know, the, the cranks will will dominate the narrative. And this is a way that they can kind of get ahead of that by saying, look, all the data is free. You can look at it. You can see what we saw and find the conclusions that we found. And if people find different conclusions or can explain it, like various different scientists or grad students who want to use it to write their next study or whatever, they can. And that is amazing. Like open science is a thing that is a major problem in academia. There's a whole thing about how like developments and, and data and stuff like that is all being kept behind paywalls and like, and you know, institutional walls and stuff like that. And it's leading to science not progressing as fast as it could, because, you know, if you can't, if, you know, to read the latest in what's going on in biology, you either have to belong to a university that is subscribed to the journal, or you have to pay like $500 an issue to read like the articles. Mm. Like it's, it's, it's prohibited. And this would more open science. And it also allows you to um, uh, have more replication. Like, I don't know if you, I don't know how much you know about this kind of stuff, but like science, especially um, the most, because uh, my wife was a, uh, was a social psychologist, uh, there was a massive issue in social psychology where because people weren't like being transparent with their data and uh, because of the sort of nature of how you make it in academia by publishing lots of articles and making like a lot of positive conclusions, it was resulting in people producing a lot of studies about experiments they did that then when replicated couldn't happen. And so like a whole bunch of work had to be thrown out because it was either um, it either the experiment they did could not be replicated by other labs or it just like like or it was based heavily on that data. Mm. And uh, that resulted in a bunch of stuff. There was even another issue in, um, I think it was, it was over in uh, Hamilton, over at McMaster, where there was this spider biologist who faked data for years and like really disrupted a lot of people's careers when it all came out. Um, Angela Collier made a video about it. Hey. I'm way, I'm way too big of a fan of her. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but like, that's like the thing, like, like science, like tr open science and transparent data is a good thing for science in yeah. general. Um, so yeah, do more of that. More of it. Do it. Yeah. Uh, what you should also do more of is going to Probs Not Aliens on either Twitter or Blue Sky and telling us about uh, whether you want to be a space potato or a stellar, was it? Stellar Comrade? A cosmic Com. Cosmic Comrade. Stellar's I good, though. That. 
Stellar's cool stellar too. Comrade. Like a stellar. It's not alliterative though. Uh, maybe you're a stellar space potato. I don't know. A stellar space potato. Um, let us know. And uh, another thing you can let us know is if we made your Spotify Wrapped. That happened uh, yesterday, yeah. I think, as, as oh, of the time. Best day of the uh, year. Yeah, as of the time where we're recording this. That's our favorite day of the year because so many people reach out, uh, listen to this podcast on Spotify, and are like, you're my top podcast, you're in my top five podcast. Anything, it just means the world to us because we get to actually see uh, all the, you know, we've got numbers on our side. We've got like oh, this, amount, this amount of downloads, this amount of listens, but getting able to see specific people being like, I listen to your podcast this, this amount of time. Somebody listened to like 30,000 hours of our podcast or something like that. Yeah, they would have had to listen to like the, they, like, yeah, there's somebody who I think had to have listened to the entire show several times to get They're the in like the point zero one, the top zero one percent, like point zero one percent of the of the listeners. That is absolutely bonks that someone was able to thank you for doing. Um, means a lot to us. And you can also uh, support this show by supporting us over on Nebula. You can listen to episodes a week early on Nebula. Uh, it's you just go to Nebula or Nebula.tv slash probably not alien. It really does help us out uh, more than you more than you oh, know. Um, before we get to uh, away from the social medias, um, Ivan Aries. Yes. Ivan Ayers uh, gave me a whole bunch of free Blue Sky codes to give away to uh, to some listeners. So uh, I'm gonna do since since we got uh, since we got a dearth, I'm gonna do two. You can do two. We uh, can also uh, copy paste them in the um, description of this episode. Um, do a whole bunch, but the only time I, I, I worry about like is that if you put it in text, that like someone's gonna scrape it. And because I oh, imagine people who are still trying you know to scrape what? Blue Sky You're codes. Right. We're not gonna do that. We're gonna read them off. Read off. Yeah. Two so of them. Um, here's the so all of them start with uh, BSKY dash social dash and then first one is NQPTD dash W. WS3WX. And then the uh, second one is FBRMI-DORN5. I hope to see you on Blue Sky. Say hello if you manage to snag one of those two Say codes. Say hello to your um, fellow space Yeah. I'm um, leaning Scott, hard into space potato. I think that's so much better. It's, it's pretty nice. Um, Scott, if I wanted to find out whether or not Lex Luthor got kryptonite cancer, where would oh, I go? Oh, boy. Um, for that That one? was before I was bald, I think. So what a, what a yeah. reckoning that was for me to be like, why? is Lex did you get kryptonite I cancer got, I got I no, I didn't do that see I can't even make the joke because it feels weird to, to be to pre- even joke to pretend that I had cancer um Fair. no I just don't have good hair so I shave it all off you're the style you have none of them. um but you can go to my <laughs> YouTube channel NerdSync N-E-R-D-S-Y-N-C that's where I make videos about comics and superheroes and cartoons that I'm working on a video right now about the Scott Pilgrim anime it's so good I don't know if you've seen it I'm looking forward to watching it it's on my list um and uh, another thing that Emily and I did for the end of year is went into the wacky world of licensed cooks. So we made a holiday feast where every item was something from a different licensed cook, officially licensed cookbook oh from Scooby Doo. I have Marvel. I hate them so much. Yeah. I, uh, I I don't like. I never. It's 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 the two things, and I don't I, like. They're such cheap cash grabs, and I hate like because they they're never the, like yeah. The there's the licensed cookbook or the licensed like cocktail book, yep. and all of the things are like not things seen in the show nope. they're not like diegetic or anything they're just like what if we took a regular ass recipe and just called it something can i tell you the uh, the coolest the best one that we found was a bob ross recipe book but it was not the one that people know there's one currently on shelves i have that one we didn't look into it at all we instead got a bob ross cookbook that is filled it's like a church cookbook i don't know if you're familiar with they're filled with recipes of like from actual into each recipe is from a different person and they're like this is my recipe that i make 
family. It's a Bob Ross cookbook like that. And all of the people are Bob Ross certified paint instructors. And they're like, this is the recipe that I make for my family. And like, that's it cute. is cute, right? It's the best. That yeah. one is the only one that didn't feel like a cash grab. There's a, like I said, there's another Bob Ross one that's currently on the shelves uh, that does feel like cash. But this one comes from like the 80s or 90s or something. Like it feels like a gen, like it's really cute. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so we're working on a video about that, but that's me. Tristan, you have other videos and, and stuff that you make online. Where can people find more of your stuff? It's true. Uh, my name is, uh, my, my. you guys know my name. I have a YouTube channel called Step Back mm-hmm. that I talk about. I essentially take things going on in the world and try to, with history and just my ability, just my debunking and my research skills, try to explain what the fuck's going on. Uh, my most recent video that just came out as of the release of this episode, and by just came out, I mean like a, like a week or so ago, uh, is on the land back movement. A very important video to me and stuff to do with indigenous land sovereignty and yeah, thumbs up uh, about how millions of acres are being won back by indigenous nations across Canada and the US to right the wrongs of colonization. And it meant a lot to me and I worked really hard on this, was struggled a lot to make it like uh, interesting, but also not generic enough. Uh, like I had to like, I'd hit this thing because nobody recognized what land back was, but also everyone knows about indigenous land theft. So I had to be like, how do I make this interesting enough that like a person who's never heard of land back will come in, but also not vague enough so that it's just like colonization bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Ooh, uh, I, I don't know. I'm very, I'm very excited about it. But you know what I'm also very excited about is yeah. if you were to go to nebula.tv slash probably not aliens and sign up for Nebula via that link, you would get episodes early. Yes. You could have listened to this episode last you week. could have. And also uh, you would also get to enjoy the fact that uh, you're supporting tons of really amazing creators like the two of us, but also uh, lots of, I'm trying yeah, to think of I don't, think, like, I don't uh, know if we pitched this enough. I mean, I know we've got those little pre-rolls, but like when you go to nebula.tv slash probably not aliens and you sign up, you're not just getting access to this podcast. You're getting access to everything that Nebula has to offer, which has like tons of uh, cool shows and things. I made a class on how I make my videos. If anyone wants to watch that, mm-hmm. um, it was really fun to make. Abigail Thorne has a play. Abigail Thorne has a play uh, and is working on a movie for next year. Oh yeah, yeah. Dracula's ex-girlfriend. Yeah. Uh, there's also uh, Jesse Gender's Identities. movie Identities yes. coming, out, is coming out. There's a lot of really cool stuff that's happening on Nebula. And if you sign up, you not only get episodes early, but you are directly supporting us and you are going to get uh, access to all of that amazing stuff. Yes. It's, it's, really it's really cool, really cool. to watch like the platform there. turn into something really cool. There's like actual premieres and stuff happening. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really, really cool gay. Over. And if you like gay stuff, oh, if yeah. you're... Hold on. Don't tell Mike Johnson, but it is super gay. Don't tell LG. Don't, <laughs> don't tell LG. <laughs> don't tell LG. Don't tell Mike Johnson. It is super gay over on Nebula. And like, I'm okay. yeah. I'm cool with it. I like it a lot. And I think maybe you'll like it mm-hmm. a lot. And you'll resonate with it. Don't tell... Don't tell LG. Don't tell Mike Johnson. If you don't understand the LG thing, don't worry about it. It's it's a it's complicated. Don't tell Mike Johnson. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but what you who you should tell is everybody uh, that you know uh, to listen to this podcast because podcasts grow through word of mouth. Next year uh, we're going to be. I mean, next year we're going to be rummaging with the fact that uh, YouTube is going to start a podcasting platform, and there might be more algorithmic recommendations and stuff. But podcasts are still kind of like a word of mouth thing, and if you if you word your mouth uh you help the show and a lot of you have and it has been really great to see uh and the place that you can send them is probsnotaliens.com which is a a great place where you can get links to literally whatever way that you want to ingest podcasts i wonder if i can can put a poll up on that website to see what people would want versus the 
cosmic comrades of the space potatoes. I'll see. Maybe sure. not, but just let us know. Let us know your thoughts on all that. But yeah, that's got all the links to where you can listen to the show. Um, and it's great. Thank you to everyone who writes reviews of this show on our podcasts, leaves us feedback on Spotify. And again, thanks for all the Spotify wrapped shout outs. Uh, that's awesome. They make us feel very good. I literally wrote to Scott when Spotify wrapped came out yesterday, like Scott, Spotify wraps out. If you also, if you listen to podcasts on, there's an app called um, Pocket Casts. That's what I use to listen to podcasts. They have a yep. similar thing right now where you go back, they, they'll show you your year in podcasts specifically. Um, so if we, we make your list there, let let us know. I didn't know we both used that. Do what? I also I also use Pocket Casts. Yeah, I, it's good. It's a good app. It's, it's a better than app. Apple's native one. Uh, I'll tell you that much. Better than Spotify. <laughs> no, it's fine. If you use Spotify, if you use Spotify it's awesome. fine. Just use whatever you want uh, that you enjoy listening to podcasts. I'm a little on. frustrated anyway, seeing Joe um, Rogan still at the top of the pocket. That's that's neither here nor there. Yeah. Uh, but that is all for today. So until next time. My name is Scott Nicewander. I'm Tristan Johnson, and the truth is out there. Probable LGBTQ plus. Mike Johnson. Mike Johnson. Mike Johnson? Mike Johnson? Let's just get four more Mike Johnson. Can we get a Mike couple more Mike Johnsons Johnson? in here just so, just for the edit? Mike Johnson? Mike Johnson. Mike Johnson. You know what? It's like how people are like, it's, an actor is like, you can say the I love you in so many different ways and it means, the context means different things. It's, I word that, it's that way with Mike Johnson. Like, Johnson. Mike Johnson. Mike Johnson?